Hey everybody, welcome back to Simply Holy Holiday, a practical guide for making the holidays holy days. And we are now 19 days away from 2020, and I'll say it again, it's shocking. <laughs> it is always crazy to think how close we are. So um, I've noticed through the years that um, it is about this time of year that many people, um, they give up. They throw in the towel, they become discouraged, and um, I can't understand exactly why that is, but I think what I've deduced is that somehow at this point, we enter, we enter into some sort of works-oriented, I don't know if it's pharisaical, but definitely a defeatist mindset. And I think it's because that whatever we vowed to God for this season, we haven't lived up to our expectations. We thought we would do much better at it. We um, set a, our standard pretty high. We haven't met it, and therefore we want to quit. And I just want to encourage you that, you know, it's, it really is that, that saying of perfection is the enemy of progress. It really is <laughs> because you can't make progress without making mistakes. You can't, you can't make progress without failing and then getting back up and trying again. That's just not the way it works. You know, even I was reminded lately, um, listening to the BAME podcast again, I've been listening to it like crazy. They're just talking about how at the end of every day, God said, it is good. That's the word he used. It is good. It's not, it is perfect. It is good. And, you know, we are trying, and that is the important thing. So I would just ask you, if you made a commitment to God to say, I don't know, have a quiet time every morning at 5 o'clock or something like that, and you, you know, didn't hit it every single time. I would still ask, have you done it more times than you would have had you not been trying? Um, and I think that's what we have to look at. You know, my goals at the beginning were that I would have, you know, 70 mornings of love, that love would be overarching, that, um, that it would be what ruled the day no matter what happened. And, you know, I haven't been 100%, but it has been a lot better, I mean to say, a lot better. Um, you know, my other goal was to take every experience it and filter it through humility and say, what would be the humble response to this? Or where's the most humble place I can land with this? And I haven't hit it 100% of the time either, but man, I've done it so much more than I would have if I hadn't been trying. I mean, I forgot a lot. And even now, as I'm saying it, it's reminding me, oh yeah, I need to do that with this specific situation that just happened, you know? Yeah, we just keep trying. We just keep going. We just keep doing it um, because God knows that we are clay. He remembers how we're made. He does not always treat us as our sins deserve, not, and nor does he always accuse. Yeah, this makes me tear up when I think about it. But, um, okay, enough of that. We are gonna, we're going to travel on uh, for the Psalms, uh, through the Psalms of Ascent. We're traveling on, making our ascent into 2020. And we've been following along with the Psalms of Ascent. Today we're going to start reading Psalm 127. Okay, let's just start reading here in Psalm 127 in the NLT. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the work of the builders is wasted. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with sentries will do no good. It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late at night, anxiously working for food to eat. For God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he confronts his accusers at the city gates. 
Okay, so I want to go back here and just sort of immerse ourselves in the imagery that we've learned is so important that this is the way the Hebrew writer communicates is through imagery so that we can understand God on a deeper, more tangible level. Um, I know we've read the scripture a lot of times, but let's do this today. So we go back to the beginning. It talks about the first image is that God has to be the builder of whatever is we're building. He has to be the architect. And the job of the architect is not only to make the building beautiful, and it's usually what they're known for, but it's also to make the building structurally sound. Now this really means something if you live in hurricane country or if you live in earthquake country, as I do. Those architects are responsible for, for making buildings up to code to make sure that if there, in, if there is an earthquake, that the building is able to have a little bit of give and take so it can withstand the shake, right? And still be standing. And I love this thought that this is what God is talking about. This is God's job. Is he, no matter what we're building, I think that it's not clear here. It could be talking about the families that we are building, our homes that we're building with our households or our families. It could be talking about the church family that we're building. It could be talking about just our lives that we're building on the rock of Jesus Christ. But you know, in the New Testament, when Jesus is talking about building your house on the rock, he says, when the storms come, that your house will stand. When the earthquakes come, your house will stand. And there are going to be times <laughs> in our lives and in our families where the earthquakes just come and, whoa, you, you're, you're just taken by surprise. Or storms can come and they just rip off the whole roof of your house. That's just the way that it is. There are going to be times where the roof is blown off. There's going to be times where your house is shaking. Um, there's going to be damage. You're going to, you know, when the storms come, I'll tell you what, that's when I realize that there's leaks in the roof. Okay. I don't even know that there's leaks in my roof because most of the time California doesn't rain hard enough for there to be a leak. But most, but sometimes during the winter season, there are rains. And I'll tell you right now, we know that there are leaks in our roof. I'm like, man, I didn't even know those were there. <laughs> and that's what happens when the storms of life come, when it rains really hard, spiritually speaking or emotionally speaking, you can see where the, where the holes are in your roof. But it's okay because you just need to get somebody out there to help you to patch up those, those leaks. You know, um, this year... Uh, it's been no secret, has been a very difficult year for, for me and my family. Um, I have learned a lot in my parenting. I hope, you know, some of you will go to the uh, um, Mothers of Ministry. That's what I'm trying to say, Mothers of Ministry, and I'll be able to talk more about that. But some things I can talk about, some things I can't because, you know, it's not my story to tell. But I will say I've learned a lot, um, and God has really taken this opportunity, I feel like, to pull up the flooring in our house. I mean, like, I told somebody, I was like, sometimes I don't even know where to stand, because what I thought was I was standing on is not there anymore. So I think we, were, we are now changing not only the roof, but we are changing the flooring. But you know what has been so comforting during this time is what I've realized is, yeah, but my foundation is below the flooring. I can change the flooring in my house. I can change the way I parent. I can change the way I think. I can repent of things that aren't going well and the things that I'm doing wrong. I can repent of all those things. And God can pull up that flooring and put new flooring in. But that foundation is solid, baby. It's not going anywhere. It's Jesus Christ. So the winds can come. The earthquakes can come. The, my, the roof can be blown off my house. But I will stand on the foundation of Jesus Christ. And that is where you have to have your foundation for your life for your church, and for your home. Okay, 
So that's the first image that it comes that comes to mind. The second image is that um, is that of the guardian, the sentry, the 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 warrior on the on the wall of the city. And what is that person doing? Well, they are scanning the landscape for danger. They are looking for danger. Oh, we got danger over here. You know, if if you're picturing the modern day, you know, guy with the calm on his head, like oh, we got danger over here. Yeah. But or thinking about the olden days of the warrior standing on the wall scanning the landscape and I think this is the deal this is why this is what God is saying is I need to be the one to tell you when there's danger the Bible needs to be able to dictate to us when there's danger so we have to know the Bible we have to use our Bible both to build our structure to build our house we also have to use the Bible to realize and understand when there is danger ahead and what when we need to take notice, you know, when the, the level is rising, you know. Um, and I don't even want to get into too much about our our culture today. It is so difficult. I don't, I've been trying to get away from too much talking about that and my opinions about that because, you know, we really can't get into opinion there about how to deal. I mean, it's, it's not an opinion that there are dangers. We are afraid to send our kids to school because there might be a shooter. We have no idea what this crisis of sexual identity is doing to our culture. It's just, uh, it, it, it's so difficult to, to navigate. We have no idea what all of these devices are doing. We are human lab rats, you know, in this experiment of social media and the way it's depressing. It's depressing our society. It's depressing our kids. It's depressing us. It's keeping us, you know, from being, I think, who God created us to be. But all of those things, how do you deal with those things? Those are matters of opinion. I don't know. I do know that this was written 3,000 years ago, and some of the dangers that they were facing back then are the same ones that we're facing today, which is crazy. And some are a little bit different. But whatever it is, we have to allow God to say there's danger on the horizon. And, and then count on him to protect us through his word by obeying his word, right? We're going to talk about that a little bit later in detail. But I would just say that... When we see dangers in the horizon, our answer is this thing that it talks about how how useless it is for you to work so hard from morning until late at night, you know, anxiously working for food. So yeah, our answer is always like, I got to work harder. I got to get up earlier, rise early, stay up late, work late, make money, um, take control, work harder. I got to buy a security system and I got to make sure that we, you know, it's all of this work, work harder, 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 harder. And God is going, that's not what it is because actually I created you for rest. I created you for pleasure, for me. I created you to worship me and to be a part of my creation and to rest in me. Now that is deep. If you are listening to the Bema podcast, whoa, it is deep. I highly recommend those. So good. But all I can say is he grants sleep or rest to those that he loves. We have to accept that no matter what, no matter how hard we try, no matter all of our vigilance and all this, all the worry, the anxious working for food to eat, the anxious, the anxiety, it gives us ulcers, it gives us migraines, it doesn't help us at all. We have to give it to God and go, God, you are the protector of this house. I can work as hard as I can with man-made techniques to protect this house, but I've got to give it ultimately to you. You are my defender. You are my protector. God must protect the house. Um, we need to be able to trust the story. We need to be able to trust the rhythm. All this getting up really early and staying up really late, we weren't designed to do that. We really weren't. Um, God has, has a, a, a rhythm of his creation of resting and working and resting 
and working. And the trip of that is that God had uh, has us rest first. I think that's crazy. Uh, I don't. We don't understand it. We're so Westernized and Americanized, even. So it's hard for us to understand. But that that thought that He has a rhythm that we we can enjoy. We can we can sink into his rest and sink into his rhythm and trust it. Not overwork ourselves, make sure that there's plenty of time for time with God and to do the things that he wants us to do. Sometimes, I know for me, this storm, this earthquake that has hit us has really caused me to go, okay, 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 I need to take way more time here and give way more attention to my family, each and every member of my family, and do it, make sure I am just really following God's lead in the way that he gently leads those he th- those who have young. I need to be gentle like him, gentle and humble in heart. That's what Jesus says. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble in heart. So I know that gentleness and humility are a part of all this living in his rhythm. So Anyway, that's all I'm going to say about this, because the, the crack up about this is that the very next verse is this incredible passage about how what a gift children are, what a reward they are. I was thinking, well, what's the number one enemy of rest or sleep? Well, it's children. <laughs> you can't get any sleep when they're infants, and it, you know, it kind of doesn't ever end. But um, so I just find that humorous. But this is all in it in this image. He's saying Within my rest, within my protection, the way I build your house, your children should feel like a blessing, a reward. And um, it should, you get this image of this warrior who's got all this ammo now. He's got, he's got arrows in his quiver. He's ready to go to war. You know, our children are supposed to be to us allies um, as we raise them. Yeah, we give up this time early in life, but as we raise them, they become our friends. They become our allies. They become um uh, somebody that can protect us in the future. You think that's an it's a it's protection. Um, somebody to stand with us, our tribe when uh, when we are being accused. And you know, these are the images that it's trying to get us to to relate to. And I have to admit that I don't know why, but this is not the image that comes to mind in our modern. 21st century American view of children. It is usually that they're a burden. It is usually that they take away our time to do what we want. They take, um, you know, they're uh, more of a liability than an asset. And I'm not sure exactly why that is, but that's what's been created. This, this, they're a burden. And unfortunately, not only in our society, but sometimes in the 21st century church, it can feel like that. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't have the answers to that, but I do know that it doesn't seem to match up with the way that we think and feel. So there's something to ponder. You know, when you find something in the Bible that doesn't make sense, or it's like, that doesn't seem true. That doesn't seem to work out. Or I don't feel that. There's always something to ponder. There's something to learn. There's something to correct in our thinking. There's something to realize that we're missing. And that's the way I look at this passage. Okay. So um, let's go down to Psalm 128 and let's keep reading because it actually keeps on in the same vein. It says, how joyful or blessed, it says in the NIV, how joyful are those who fear the Lord, all who follow or obey his ways. You will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine flourishing within your home, for your children will be like vigorous olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. 
May the Lord continually bless you from Zion. May you see Jerusalem prosper as you live. May you live to enjoy your grandchildren. May Israel have peace. So it goes on here and basically is saying how happy it is to fear God. It, you are happy when you have the right fear. You are stressed when you're fearing the wrong things. When we fear what other people think, it causes anxiety. When we're afraid of what's going to happen in the future, we, we, we cause stress. Um, but when, we're, when we fear God, that's the good fear. It actually makes us happy. It's, it's an awe. It's an excitement. It's a, like wonder. I can't believe him. I can't believe how powerful he is. Oh my gosh, I want, I want to do what's right. Because the next thing says, happy are you when you, obe when you obey, when you're obedient, when you follow his ways. It brings happiness. And as I've said a thousand times, I know obedience gets a bad rap, but it is a blessing. Every command is meant to bless us. And I have never met a person that regretted obeying God. <laughs> I never have, and I've never regretted it. I know that every single time when I am faced with a situation and I am tempted to do my own thing, you know, um, but I go, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to, oh, what does the Bible say? Okay, I'm going to respect this authority, or maybe I'm going to respect, I'm going to obey this authority or submit to this authority, or I'm going to respect this person who's being disrespectful to me, or I'm going to pray for my enemies, or I'm going to love the one that's hurting me. Every time I do that, I always feel happy after. Um, and that is me setting aside what I want to do and obeying God. It always brings a blessing. We are happiest. We are at our best when we are at our happiest when we have this awesome fear of God and then when we are obeying him. And um, I'll just say it's not legalistic to obey God. It is not works oriented to obey God. There is a way to have a pure heart that wants to obey God. Um, so, you know, that's just thoughts for as you're trying to change your thinking about obedience because it can get you know sometimes have a bad taste in your mouth or repentance can sometimes have a bad thought for people like oh, it's hard line it's hard line you know you just want me to obey no repentance brings refreshment it's a, it's the, you change the way you think and you actually feel better <laughs> so you get a little blessing i mean we should obey just because god is god but god makes it to where we're actually blessed in the process i don't know i just think it's crazy um but anyway, it says, then it says, you will enjoy the fruit of your labor, how joyful and prosperous you will be. And this is when it can get really um, hard. I know when I was reading this, I just had a moment. I was just like, oh, I hate this passage. I hate this psalm. Doesn't, and why? Because I'm reading it like, if I do this, if I obey, if I fear God, then my life will be perfect. My family will be perfect. And we'll all be sitting around, you know, having dinner together every night. And we'll be, you know, praying and sharing our high points and our low points and helping each other, encouraging each other. Then we'll sing psalms after, you know. I mean, like, we just have this image of in our minds of what it will look like, you know, because we are reading the psalms as formulas. Psalms are not formulas. And neither are Proverbs. Sometimes we look at the Proverbs and we, we say that they're promises. They're not all promises. They, um, the Proverbs are universal principles that we can live by. And sometimes we try to change them into promises. Um, the most famous one, and I'm sure you've heard people talk about this before, is this, train a child in the way she go, and in the end he won't depart from it. And we look at that as a promise. Uh, you know, well, if I do this, I do this. I'm promised this. No, no, no. It's not a, it's not a formula. 
we look at this and we go, this is a universal truth. And this in particular, when we're reading the Proverbs, and this in particular is really an image. It is saying you are going to enjoy the fruit of your labor. And the very first image I want us to think about is this way that fruit is produced. Your wife will be like a fruitful grapevine, but first it says you will enjoy the fruit of your labor. And I had to really immerse myself in this. I did this for a couple of weeks, honestly. And just think about how is fruit produced? Well, fruit is produced in seasons. It's not all the time. And this was such a helpful reminder for me. I have, I get the privilege of living in California, so I have an orange tree. <laughs> I love this tree. I hope nothing ever happens to this tree. I actually suffered the death of a beautiful tree, a sweet gum tree in my backyard this year. And I, I cried, I wept. It was, it made me so sad. I actually wrote a little thing about it. <laughs> but this orange tree, I love this orange tree. But I was thinking, what is the growth right now? My orange tree is getting super, super orange. So um, my the, the fruit that's on the tree right now is actually, it's going from being just a little bit too tart to being perfectly sweet. And all through January and February, I'm going to have the sweetest, most delicious, organically grown oranges you've ever tasted. And they are beautiful. But then what's going to happen after that is that there are going to be blossoms that come in March and April. There's going to be orange blossoms, the best smell that you have ever smelled, but you can't eat them. <laughs> it's not fruit. These are blossoms. It's a sweet aroma that comes after the fruit. After that, those are going to go away. The bees are going to take all that and they're going to go make honey from them, hopefully. And then after that, it's just going to be, it's going to be leafed up. And then there's going to be these little teeny tiny green looking like they look like acorns, green acorns that are on there. You can't even tell what kind of tree it is. And you know, you might even think people ask me all the time, what kind of tree is that when it when it's not in in bloom? Um, so these are gonna start off like that around May, June, and they're gonna just continually get bigger and bigger. Right around September, it's gonna look like I have a lime tree. Then those those limes are gonna be about this big. They're gonna they're gonna start getting yellow in around October. And then people are gonna think I have a lemon tree. And then in December, they're finally going to turn, or I, I probably got my months off there. I think it's September, it's like a lime tree into October. And then October, November, it's more like a lemon tree. And then in December, it becomes orange. It's not till the right, very end that it becomes orange. And it's not until you let it be orange for a while that it's going to be sweet. It's going to be a little too tart. And I just thought, you know, this is such a great metaphor. We don't get to enjoy the fully ripe orange all year long. It's for a certain time. It's in seasons. You cannot take a snapshot of your family and say, this is our family. Any more than you can trust these images that are on Facebook where everybody's happy all the time. How many, how many pictures have you taken of your family? And you know, everybody was fighting up until the picture you took it. And then it's like, <laughs> oh, we're so happy. Well, it's the same way with bad seasons in your life. It's that same way when you don't feel like there's any fruit on your tree, when you don't feel like I don't see any good fruit, it's seasons. You can't look for fully ripe fruit all the time in your family. And you cannot take a snapshot of your family and judge your family by it. Your family is a process. Your kids are going to go through hard times. They're going to go up and down in their faith. They're going to have times where they need your help and they're going to have times where they don't want your help. This is just the way of a family. And we have to be okay with the fact that seasons come, that fruit comes in seasons. 
So I hope that helps you. It helped me as I started to contemplate this because I was to the point, I was like, I don't want to read this. <laughs> I don't feel like my family looks like this right now. <laughs> um, but then the next metaphor it uses is for your spouse. Well, it's really for the wife. It's going to be a fruitful um, grapevine. And, you know, I, I really have sunk into this image because I did this book. Um, I don't remember, it was two summers ago, uh, if you were watching, we went through the book um, called Unhurried Living. Um, and he has this section that really spoke to me about being rooted, being a grapevine and learning from the, the grapevine, which it talks a lot about in the Bible. So this will help you with the imagery that comes later in the New Testament. But it, uh, I'm going to just read from the book. It says, I recently had the opportunity to visit Northern California wine country. During the trip, we spoke with an owner of a vineyard and winery. Bryce was kind enough to give us a private audience since his winery did not have a public tasting room. Five years earlier, he had learned about dry farming from some fellow winemakers in France. Dry farming involves no artificial irrigation, but relies only on water that comes naturally in that particular setting. We might say, only the water that God provides. He shared that they made a plan spanning a few years to wean the plants off their dependency of the drip irrigation system. He talked about the vines being addicted to artificial watering. He mentioned that vines that grow with irrigation develop a relatively small onion-shaped root ball since they don't need to reach any farther for the water they need. His belief is that a healthy vine has as much a mass has as much mass in its root system, think about this, as it does in the plant that is above ground. But this does not happen with drip irrigated vines. He was willing to try this experiment even though for a few, uh, very few others had done so in the region. The cost of this transition was significant. In the first year that they reduced the artificial water supply, their yield dropped by 45%. Take that in for a second. It took a few years for their yield to come back close to what they were getting from the irrigated vineyard. He shared that now that the transition is complete, they still have a slightly lower yield than before, but they're getting a much higher quality of fruit. And one benefit of this transition came in a year when a heavy rain came early in the growing season and caused most vineyards to lose their entire crop to rot. The fruit of his vines, though, consistently matured sooner in the season so they were able to harvest their crop before the rain hit. I mean the implications of this are stunning for a Christian and whether you're talking about building your house, your household and home, your family, whether you're talking about building your life on the rock, whatever you're talking about, this applies in every single way. You know I love the thought that you have this plant and its root system develops this like little onion shaped root system because it's used to this sort of drip, 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 drip irrigation. And uh, that, that applies so much, I think, to, to my life uh, is I have, I feel like there's at this time in my life, I had become very dependent on certain ways of watering. I had become very dependent and very um, used to, well, I have this and I have this and I have this and I have this. This is my schedule and, these, and this is my input and this is my, you know, whatever. These are the things I go to. These are my resources. This is my whatever. And I think God had to dry some of that up and in a good way um, so that my roots could go deeper and reach farther into the ground and be 
richer. And yes, there for this year, there has been less fruit. There has been. There has been less of a production. Um, there has been less uh, fruit on the vine. But in a way, I feel like what I'm going to get in the end is a much higher quality of fruit. Um, the time that I'm using to engage uh, the people around me, the time that uh, the way that I'm spending my time is different, um, getting way more into my into relationships, um, going deeper with with a few of those and making sure that my time with my children is much deeper in nature. So it's it's less of a drip irrigation. It's less um, a little bit along the way, but I have times of deep soaking. And then I have times of, of, of rest or more surface living. And then I have times of deep soaking. And I think this is, this is a very good image to think of, as your, uh, of in your family. Now, I don't know if this is specifically talking about having babies, which that usually is talking about what you're talking about with your spouse. But I feel like it applies to your whole family in every stage of life. That God is going to take times where he allows the the regular way of watering, your regular systems to dry up. And that'll be so that you can send your roots deeper than they've ever gone before. And um, hopefully get that mass that's underneath the surface as big and beautiful and, and the mass as, as grand as what's on top of the surface. So anyway, those are my thoughts on that. And then it says your children will be vigorous, young, olive trees as they sit around your table. That is the Lord's blessing for those who fear him. Now, um, I don't have time now. Actually, I don't have time to go into 129. We're going to end with this today because it's just too long. But I did a study uh, this year on the olive tree. And I did that because um, there are so, there, it's referenced so much in the Psalms. And I don't have time to go into it. I want you to do that. That's sort of homework. You have homework today. Um, you know, take the time to look up how many times the olive tree image is used in the Bible. And it also, it's used a lot in reference to the church or the temple, um, you know, the body where, where we worship. It's also used when it's referring to your family. And look up uh, look up those scriptures and then just go on Wikipedia or go on. I actually went on a grower's page, you know, somebody, a tree. What are they called? Arbors. I think that's what they're called. I can't remember what they're called, but people who are really in, who are uh, really intelligent about trees. Um, and look up the qualities of an olive tree and apply it to this. Learn about how much water it needs. What are the seasons where the fruit grows? What are, um, how does it weather the elements? Um, what's its life cycle? You know, anything you can get uh, to deepen your understanding. Because remember, these images are given to us to help us to understand God on a much deeper level. I have to say that I've read Psalm 126 a hundred times. <laughs> and I have to say that doing this and really meditating on these images just help me so much. When you really break it apart and think, what does an architect do? What does a defender of the city do? Um, you know, what does it mean to be fruitful? How does a tree bear fruit? How does a grapevine grow? I mean, these things only deepen your understanding of God. And it really helps you in, in just your love and your appreciation of these scriptures and how they are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And how they are as simple... <laughs> 
as simple as a fifth grade understanding, right? That it can be understood by unschooled ordinary men, but yet the greatest scholars of all time will never be able to fathom it. You know, we'll still, our minds will be blown away when we get to heaven, we get to see him face to face. But until then, let yourself have the time to meditate on these images and let uh, God's miraculous nature seep in deeper into your being. So we don't have time for any more than that. Um, I hope this helps you until next time.